Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to South Beach Sessions. If you've been following this show for a while, you know and have heard the business plan for AEW. They had the biggest weekend ever. The sports story of the weekend was CM Punk and Tony Khan has been running that place the way that Vince McMahon has run wrestling across several decades. So let's catch up with Tony Khan after the biggest wrestling weekend of his life. Tony, in terms of everything you've experienced so far in wrestling, where does this weekend rank moving you and exceeding expectations? And really the dream that you had here of actually challenging the WWE seems like it got here a lot faster than I thought it was going to get here. I think this was our number one best weekend we've ever had. It was number one in so many metrics. We set our attendance record at the most fans we've ever had at the United Center on Friday night for AEW Rampage for the debut of CM Punk. We broke every social metric. I heard from your good friends, I say sarcastically at ESPN, that the traffic that they got was so beyond anything that anybody had anticipated. It was, in fact, the most traffic on any one social post they've had since May, which includes the Summer Olympics and the NBA Finals. So the amount of interest in CM Punk returning to wrestling and joining AEW is unprecedented in the world of wrestling and really this year in the world of sports. It's huge for our company. It's huge for everyone who works here. It's huge for all of our fans. But I would also say CM Punk really had a great time and he was so happy to be back. And I think that made it that much better for the fans to see how happy Punk was to be back in the ring in Chicago. And the first dance was just a huge hit for us in every sense of the word. What do you think happened there? Well, it was unique. Uh, There was a lot of pent-up demand. When you have one of the biggest stars in a sport who's been out of the sport for seven years, that's going to build up a lot of demand. And when he's still in a physical prime, still capable of having great matches. And then there's a whole new generation of wrestlers that have come up while he's been out. There's all these dream matches people want to see. They never thought they were going to see. We really snuck up on people with this in some ways. Now it was also the worst kept secret in the world intentionally, because the idea was to create this buzz around the event. Is CM Punk going to show up at the United center at the first dance? What is the first dance? And so we built it through mystery and The idea by the time the show started is that all the fans would be 99% sure CM Punk is going to be there. But that 1% doubt is what made it that much better than just advertising it, saying that's what you're going to get. We sold out the tickets for the United Center in minutes. And it's the most tickets we've ever sold. And we've had great success. And pre-COVID, we had led the world in attendance for all the wrestling companies, attendance per show in 2019. And then in 2020, when I started running the outdoor shows with socially distanced fans, I think we also led everybody in America in attendance because we were the only ones running shows. And this year, we've had great attendance, but CM Punk's arrival definitely exceeded anything we've ever had in terms of every 
business metric. Among those details, whether it's secondary tickets going for nearly $1,000 or line to buy his merch being, you know, unbelievably long, which are the details that overwhelmed even you where you were surprised by something? Well, I wasn't surprised by how many shirts we sold. I had said it needs to be all hands on deck printing shirts. And they printed, I think, as many as they could, as quickly as they could. And we'll continue putting lots of merchandise out to make sure everybody can get their CM Punk merchandise. We have, in fact, for the Ringer T, the actual, like the blanks, we bought out the entire country's supply of that style of shirt because that's how big the demand is for CM Punk merchandise right now. And when I say that everything is clicking so well, it's an understatement because to set your merchandise record, our attendance record, and then have Guinness World Records today chiming in saying they think it might be the loudest applause, the biggest pop any wrestler's ever gotten. That, that's pretty cool, too. So in terms of fan satisfaction to the, all of our great fans and the, the merchandise sales, I think for our TV audience, this is going to be really, really great for us. And as we continue to grow, I just think for the fans... If you wanted to find a reason, if you're looking for something to motivate you to get back into wrestling, this was it. This is it. If you're not willing to tell us what it costs to get CM Punk to come out of retirement, would you be willing to tell us how much more money you made for him on the first day, made for yourselves, than you're paying for him? Did he pay for himself on the first day? I believe this was one of the best deals I've ever done in my life. And... I don't think it was really all about money. You know, if you listen to what he and I had said on the press conference we did, we did a scrum that was like 50 minutes. And he gave so much of his time. He was so generous with really everybody that night in terms of obviously wanting to spend time with the fans, but then creating this great moment by buying thousands and thousands of ice cream bars so that everybody at the United Center was able to go out and get their free ice cream bar that was pretty amazing. And that's something that people always remember. And it was just a really cool thing for him to do for the fans. He was also really cool about going backstage and offering, you know, really, really kind advice, being really good with his time with the wrestlers and super, super, you know, friendly person. And I just think some of the stuff he did in terms of helping our young wrestlers become stars at the next level, it's really, really, really significant. And it's going to help us grow the business, but sustain AEW for many, many years to come. So I think it was one of the best deals I've ever done. And in so many ways, it wasn't about money. Like he and I had said in the press conference, it was really a lot of it about getting to know each other. And that was one of the side effects of the pandemic was people had a lot of time indoors. And I spent a lot of time talking to him on the phone, getting to know each other better and building trust with each other. And so this was a long time coming. We've been talking a lot for about a year and a half. So yes, he paid for himself on the first day? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I do think so. I think in terms of what this has done for our business, I really believe that as soon as we saw the results from this, before we even got started, I knew this was the best deal we could have possibly done. Tony, it seems like you did an immense amount of planning around, you mentioned the t-shirts and the ice cream afterwards, and this is something that we've discussed about you kind of having your hands in the clay and knowing what the fans want and knowing what the fans would respond to. It feels like you had planned out. This is not just about CM Punk 
returning. It's about getting all the details right to make it pay off for yourselves. Absolutely. The first dance is a show that we had planned to be the springboard for a lot of people to get back into wrestling and for the AEW fans who supported us all along or whenever they came in, anybody who supported AEW ever, this was a big moment because it really validated the time you've invested in this, that this is a huge thing and you've watched this company that you know you got on board with that was interrupted by the pandemic like everything else in life and has changed and become a different show and I think in many ways a better show. And now really for us to come out of the pandemic and do the best ratings we had ever done before CM Punk arrived and then to have CM Punk come and completely jack all the business metrics up, it couldn't have happened at a better time. So it was a really well laid out plan. And a lot of these things were dictated to us by the circumstances of the pandemic. You know, he wasn't going to come back when there were no fans. And then even when we were running at 25% capacity, it wouldn't have made sense for him to do this. So it had to be when we were running arenas at 100%. And we were able to get back and do that and ran weeks and weeks of shows that were the best run of ratings we've had since we started. And, you know, have that. And then on top of that, bring in CM Punk. That was always the plan that I wanted to execute. Did you have to sneak him into the building? No, no. He didn't sneak into the building at all. We have really trustworthy people. I mean, everyone kind of knew he was supposed to be there. But uh, he showed up before the show, drove in, and uh, no, no, didn't have to do any surprise or stuff like that. In the talking to him a lot during the pandemic, was there a convincing period? Did you go months where you're trying to get him on board and he's not agreeing to things, or you're just planning it the whole time as if he's coming on board? We had been talking kind of, I'd gotten to know him years ago, and I think he just wasn't really ready to come in and come back to wrestling until he saw what AEW was going to be. I don't think he wanted to be the guinea pig. And so we launched the company, and that's completely fair. Um, and I think it all worked out perfectly because we built a company. We've made new stars, unquestionably. A lot of people in the world of wrestling have become household names in any wrestling fan's house. And that was not the case for a lot of these people, you know, in, in 2018, 2019. And so wrestling business has gotten hotter as a result of the launch of AEW. And I think a lot of the stuff I said in year one was validated through the way we carried ourselves on the launch of Dynamite and through the pandemic. I tried to do the right things by a lot of people through the pandemic, whether it was not executing mass layoffs and letting all my people go uh, when we lost all the ticket revenue and I ate those costs personally. And then you look at what we did in terms of AEW Elevation and before that AEW Dark, those shows on YouTube, you know, really dark through the summer was the home of so many independent wrestlers. And when independent wrestling was shut down, the only paying gig really was dark and it was the best of both worlds because it was a chance to go out and make some money and have a chance to get the exposure on the internet for hundreds of thousands of people on YouTube. And there's really only a couple companies that were running in the pandemic. I mean, there's only two big wrestling companies in America, frankly, but on national television, but at the same time, there are a lot of wrestling companies that are pretty good size that weren't really able to run, to have TV, you know, that before we came along, there was really only one company that had that huge national penetration on a mainstream station. And now we have multiple shows. 
it's very, very different from where we launched. But during the pandemic, really taking care of these people, you know, providing a home for independent wrestlers. And then as Mr. Punk alluded to in our press conference scrum, I think he saw that we have a lot of people with integrity and people that can frankly keep a secret. When we had a great wrestler by the name of Brody Lee last year get very sick from a non-COVID illness and his wife came and told our entire locker room and our entire staff, over a hundred people sat out in the bleachers and she told everybody what was going on. And for months, nobody said a word and, you know, gave them their privacy. And it was the saddest, hardest situation we've ever been through. Nothing positive to say about losing him, but he left behind a great family. And I think that for CM Punk, he saw the kind of integrity our locker room and the people here have, you know, through that also. Integrity and wrestling don't go together. I don't know whether you're going for company with a soul against company that people are leaving because it feels soulless. I don't know if you're recruiting that way or not, but you're getting CM Punk to say things like, I couldn't spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally go back to the place that was making me sick in the first place. Are you accentuating this? You've been careful not to say too many things about WWE that would be too inflammatory. I didn't say that. And I, you know, I am giving him a home and a forum to say what he feels and that's how he feels. And really everybody in wrestling, the fans, the other wrestlers, the staff are the people who paid the price because he can make money for everybody and he can make people's lives better. And he didn't want to do it for a long time. And now that he's come back, I think it's going to have a positive effect on everyone. It's going to help our business. It's going to help grow AEW and it's like I said validated the support of our fans who've been with us from day one and it's also brought a lot of people back to wrestling that had gone away and it's created the kind of mainstream interest nothing we've done has ever created and we brought in some of the biggest stars in the world you know Shaquille O'Neal Mike Tyson Snoop Dogg have all gotten in the ring and done stuff for us and many other great moments so many critically acclaimed matches We've set ratings, milestones, but nothing has done that what we've done with this. How many years ahead of schedule are you right now? You dreamed big at the very beginning of this. A network believed in the idea that there could be a competing wrestling company, but this has exceeded. I know we talked about this a little bit, but this has to have exceeded your expectations by years, no matter how big you were dreaming. No, I would say, yeah, it has exceeded my expectations, but it's kind of interesting how it's happened. There are people that have come to us. I never would have expected that would be with AEW so quickly. You know, there are some things that I wanted to do from day one. When I put this business plan together, there were a lot of exciting things happening in Japan. And there were a lot of exciting things happening in America and nobody had really tied them together. And what was happening was WWE was generating huge media rights and building effectively a TV, I don't want to use the word monopoly, but they were the only company that was on a big TV platform and they were on multiple big TV platforms with several shows and they were going to get huge rights fees for their content. And it was very eye-catching to me, the numbers that they were looking at. And it was the kind of numbers where I could basically build a business plan and say, if I could build a wrestling franchise TV show that gets on a big channel 
I could command a rights fee and build a company around that. And that could be the revenue stream that could pay for a big roster of wrestlers and pay for a wrestling company. And it didn't used to be like that because the rights fees of the TV show weren't enough to sustain a wrestling business. It was really pay-per-view buys and ticket sales. And, and there was a big TV component, but it wasn't like the whole big enchilada that it is now. So that changed a lot. Then in Japan, there were a bunch of wrestlers getting really hot. Chris Jericho had gone over and started doing work with New Japan Pro Wrestling and the crew of guys they had there, Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, Cody Rhodes, Hangman Page. There was a guy named Trent in a team called Rapungi Vice, who I thought would be a really valuable wrestler. And then there were a bunch of people on the American independents that I thought you could build up around, including MJF, who I thought was the most exciting young interview I'd seen in a really long time. And uh, there were some other wrestlers that were huge stars. And it was like, hey, if we could convince a CM Punk, we could really go in and compete from day one. But I, he, he wasn't really ready to do that because like he said, very frankly, in the interview we did after the show on Friday night, you know, he didn't really want to necessarily be the guinea pig for this because there's been so many other promoters that have come along and sullied the name of launching a competitor, launching another national wrestling promotion. He's heard it so many times he had to see it really. And so I, you know, would have loved to have had him from day one. That was not possible. So I went in and built the best roster I could. Now, what I didn't expect was that within the first year and really before we did our first show, John Moxley would become available. I never expected that the guy that was known as Dean Ambrose in WWE, that had been known on the independence as John Moxley, who was one of the biggest stars in wrestling in his prime and had been the champion of WWE and the guy that they had really built the company around in 2016 in so many ways. Like he had headlined every show they did on the road. He did 200 shows, I think, in 2016 and had really been like the headline guy. So then, you know, just a couple years later to turn around and he's available and willing to come in and, and wrestle for us, I was shocked. I never expected that. And he was a huge part of our first pay-per-view and why that was a big success because his surprise reveal at the end was really a signature moment that was the cherry on top that I thought took our first pay-per-view from an A to an A+. And, you know, there's things like that that have happened along the way, free agency you couldn't plan for, but those are the things that have helped us become so competitive, so strong, build this strong TV platform that helped us get a second TV show on Friday nights with AEW Rampage. And these are the things that helped convince CM Punk AEW would be a good home for him to return to wrestling. My team is one win away. And I'll tell you exactly what I'm going to do to celebrate once they get past this series. I'm going to go to my fridge and I'm going to get myself an ice cold can of Miller Lite. A lot's changed over the years, but one thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. Another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. So what is the best thing about the original light beer? Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975 and it still hasn't been settled. You see, Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality, great taste, and only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything that you don't need and holds on to what matters most. A light beer that tastes like beer, less filling, and only 96 calories. The original light beer since 1975. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. Tastes like Miller Time. To get Miller Lite delivered right at your door, visit MillerLite.com beach, B-E-A-C-H. Or you can get it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer calories and carbs than premium regular beer. You ready? Showtime. 
On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Count them and name them. The number of wrestlers that you did not expect to be in your stable this quickly. Count them. Give me a number and give me their name. Okay, I have to think about this, but there's some really good names here. John Moxley was one of them. Sting, I had no idea Sting would become available. I had no idea that Sting would be so interested in coming to work in AEW and that we'd become so close so quickly. And we built a great relationship and he's come in and been so important to our success. And, you know, really through the pandemic, helped build a lot of interest and get us really hot. And again, get us in this position. So Sting is one of the all-time wrestling legends, and I did not expect he would come in and be available so soon. Matt Hardy is a great wrestling legend and a great name in wrestling. I did not expect his availability. And one of his all-time great rivals, Christian Cage, has come back and had, again, talk about somebody who's been out seven years and is probably as good as he's ever been and definitely looks as good as he ever has. And has, again, come in and been so important to us. Christian and Sting have both wrestled more than they probably thought they would have when they came back. And they've both been huge headline stars for us. And I just can't put over their attitude or their mindset enough. Like, Well, it I, just I, seems I, like you've got a lot of people who are happy. It seems like you're what you're promising them is something soulful that you're going to love wrestling the way they love wrestling, that you're going to love the customer the way the customer loves the sport. It's really as, as good an environment as you could have because you're always going to have on any sports team or property and same thing with an entertainment property, whether, however you want to look at it, you're going to have a group of people that are going to be competitive for their spots. If it was a TV show, people are competitive for screen time. If it's a sports team, people are competitive for minutes people want to be in the game more so there is that aspect to it but it's also a really friendly competition like it's such a pleasant locker room environment and the only gripes people are going to have or i'd like to be featured more i'd like to be on the show more but that's going to happen with any team and the way it's done here is as pleasant as it could be I, i'd like to think i have really good communication with the dressing room and as the booker and the ceo I am able to keep a pretty good perspective on how to utilize the TV time to try and maximize the growth of the company. And unfortunately, I can't get every wrestler on every show. And that is probably the biggest challenge. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to build out these other complimentary shows that we do on YouTube that have great audiences with hundreds of thousands of people every week so that we can not only develop young wrestlers, but also keep people getting reps, keep people getting practice, and you really keep people in the habit of winning matches and, and keeping their momentum strong if you can't get every wrestler on the TV show every week. Yes or no questions. Did WWE underestimate you? I don't want to answer that. Yes or no question. Did WWE ignore you? I also 
I, I don't answer that. <laughs> Why are good wrestlers with good skills being let go by WWE and available to you? Well, they had a really big roster and they've chosen to try to maximize their profit margins by letting talent go to reduce the amount of cost they have due to talent. So they had a lot of really good people and they're making choices about why, you know, why people have value to them. So I can't say what number they're trying to hit, but they're definitely trying to hit a number there. And so I think it's about profitability and they're making choices. I'm sure they don't necessarily want to make, but they've let good people go in the process. Absolutely. I don't know why you don't want to pick a fight with WWE. You're in the fight game. It's entertaining. You're so you're, desperate for it, Dan. You're you're now, you, you want to start I don't some even beef. understand. He's in the middle of it. He's in the middle of the fray. He bought his way into the game. He's selling a company with a soul. All these wrestlers are coming over. You know, because- my predecessor, my predecessor in many ways, if we ran the companies very differently, but the last time anybody sat in my seat and was really successful competing with WWE was my friend, Eric Bischoff, who was the president of WCW. Now we had very different lives and different roles in some ways, but Eric faced different challenges and, and what he did is so impressive. And it's, it's different because he took over a company that already existed, WCW. He didn't own it, but he ran it day to day. And he answered to Ted Turner, but Ted Turner was not a hands-on boss. And with all due respect, and seriously, Ted Turner is one of the most important people in the history of the wrestling business. Part of my business plan when I launched this, going to the the president of TNT and TBS and going in to the offices with all their execs was, I told them if Ted had been 1% as hands-on or capable as I am to run a wrestling business, WCW never would have gone out of business. But they didn't really have that strong management from the top. So Eric was a great president for the company. He wasn't the owner, so he still answered. So there was a disconnect in the business. So that was a challenge he faced that I don't face because I, I am me. So as the owner, the CEO, and the person you know really running day-to-day, the president, I have probably a lot more under one hood. The other thing is creatively. Eric was trying to grow a business that was really underperforming and losing money. And he made it for a time very profitable. He went out and spent a lot of money, but he did a lot of great things. And I guess I have a different outlook because Eric went out and said a lot of stuff that turned a lot of people off, I think, because he was so anti-WWE. And it was, I see, I did it. They were the WWF. He was so anti-WWF. They've got people so they beat WWE into your head so much that you people don't even, even the people who work there, <laughs> you can't get them to say WWF. If they worked, they've had it beaten into their head. You don't say that. So, you know, he was, he was so anti WWF. And if you were a fan of both shows as a kid, and I really liked both shows as a kid, it was hard sometimes because Eric was trashing people you liked. So there's not, not as much upside in me to go out and do that because I think there's a lot of people that like those shows and, and there's good stuff there to like. So, you know, and that's not ever really what I've been about. I kind of support all wrestling. I'll call out stuff I don't like, no matter where it is. But in general, I've been open to work with different people. And, you know, I try not to be so negative. And I think that's part of why we've been successful. And I, if Eric could go back and do it again and maybe not 
be so antagonistic but the, of the, WWF, the, the, I would think he might. I think part of the reason that you have exceeded expectations is at least in part because you're getting your hands on everything and everyone can see how much you care about the sport because the care is obvious in the product. And I'm just curious for an honest answer on whether Vince cares about that or not I'll anymore. He does care. He does. I've read a lot of books about Vince. I've never met Vince. There was a time when he was building this company in the 80s, I've tried to undertake a similar amount of work in terms of shouldering a ton of responsibility and taking a ton of one-on-one -on -one meetings. You know, you'd hear about Vince going to convince a Hulk Hogan, going to convince individual people to come in and work for the WWF, convincing a sponsor to come on. Vince was taking all these meetings and all this responsibility, and he was a similar age to what I am. And I think... I'm inspired by that. I'm trying to do it a very different way. And I'm not trying to run all the other wrestling companies out of business. I'm not trying to take out every regional wrestling company and eat their lunch and, uh, you know, put them out of business. Uh, I don't think that makes sense. He took a very different approach to it and it worked for him really well. But he was all over the place and taking tons of meetings and he made lots of deals. And I've tried to do that over the past three years. The amount of people I've gone out and convinced to join AEW, signed, built relationships with, and that I now have, you know, under the umbrella of this company. And so I try to take a lot of inspiration from what Vince did in the 80s, building the wrestling empire and expanding it. Because I think that's probably the last time anybody expanded as much as we have. And I put an asterisk on that because WCW under Eric, did expand a lot from a money losing business into a business grossing hundreds of millions of dollars but it was still a little bit different than us where we weren't a business at all and came from from scratch but i have to give eric and wcw a ton of credit too so for, i basically for me it's not i have a ton of respect for the way that company was built and that's why I don't want to go out of my way to trash it because like, but I'm not telling you, I'm not telling you to trash it to me. I'm interested in the context and the nuance of where your hunger is serving you because it feels to me. And I'm fascinated about the business portions of this, that Vince has allowed an opening for hunger that would have been present 40 years ago when he was you because he's powerful, because he has given off the business to the mercenary Nick Khan, who is making a whole lot of deals everywhere that's making them a whole lot of money, that you have found an opening that has allowed you a competitive advantage because you're caring about the customer and the product in a way that is not only discerning, but feels like a fan is running your company because a fan is running your company. I think I can actually put them over and give them some credit here because they can't keep every wrestler under their thumb. They just couldn't do it. And they tried to sign so many people and had cast such a wide net for so long that inevitably somebody with money and connections was going to be able to come in and start a wrestling business. The disconnect would be they were probably going to have to pass it off to somebody else to run the business. One of the real things I had going here when we launched this company was all the institutional knowledge I'd built up over the years. You know, Dynamite, is a show I've been writing on paper for over 25 years, for 26 years. And Rampage, its sister show, is a show I conceived over 10 years ago. So I've been wanting to do this my whole life and really just needing somebody to believe in me, which was TNT, Warner Media. And I don't think 
they, it was really possible to stop me in this case because, you know, I would have found a media partner. I would have found wrestlers that wanted to work with me and I would have been able to launch a show. And I think the first year of the show is not, not the first year, sorry, 2019, the first few months of the show, let's say the first three months of the show. A lot of things I would go back and do over again, but I think we would all say that about the first three months we were doing anything. And a big lesson I learned at the end of 2019 that I made as my New Year's resolution, really when we turned the company around and we haven't looked back, is that I was going to, as much as possible, try to get my hands around everything and try to be more organized, try to be more, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but basically try to keep on top of everything, especially the booking. I didn't like the way we ended 2019 from a writing story structure standpoint. And I was determined that everything we did in 2020 was going to be better. And it was. And if you watch the show, it's amazing. But through the pandemic, I actually think the show got better. And then when we came back with fans, the show is now as good as it's ever been. Because I think in terms of the stories, the structure, we got into a really strong place, got really organized during the pandemic. And it also, like I said, by not, you know, by being in your home, in your office, kind of under lockdown, not, not going out, not going out for drinks with friends and stuff. There's really only time to work. And that's all I was really doing before anyway. But it put me into a very focused place where through the pandemic, really, I was just whether it was Jag stats, Fulham, all of our player uh, transactions, we were actually shut down for several months early in the pandemic where there wasn't much to do at all because the roster was locked up, you know, couldn't really make changes to the squad. And there were no games being played. So it gave me a lot of time to focus on wrestling. There were a few months where it was really just other than the NFL draft, I was very wrestling focused because there were no soccer games to scout. And uh, there was no changes to be made to the team because everything was locked. So it allowed me to go out and build a lot of wrestling relationships, talk to people I didn't get to know, and become a better, more organized wrestling booker through the pandemic. And again, like I, with all the things at AEW's disposal, the great talent, the money, the TV relationships. And I think I'd like to think that I can be a very capable CEO slash booker, which is really the hallmark of most enduring successful wrestling companies is there's been one supreme commander at the top who runs a company, negotiates the contracts, negotiates the TV deals and the arenas and figures out who's wrestling who and, and books the matches. And whether it was, Vince or Fritz von Erich, Bill Watts, Eddie Graham, so many others, that has been the way it's been done traditionally and been successful, but there was really nobody else doing that besides Vince for a long time. So I don't think that really it's not anything they did. I mean, they couldn't keep every wrestler under contract. Eventually I was going to be able to build a really strong roster. I think it happened faster than I would have expected, but I do think you know, it's hard to keep somebody down, you know. Uh, so to think that it would have been so easy to stop AEW from happening or stop a competitor from rising, I just don't think anybody had really put all the pieces in place. And it's crazy that it went 20 years. But I think about it every day, how fortunate I am that nobody did it. Um, so and I think about WCW all the time as a fan, like, man, it's hard to watch these shows at the end. I wish this hadn't happened. But the truth is, I'm really glad it happened. Because if WCW had never gone out of business, we wouldn't be here. So uh, that's how I look at it.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Congratulations, because it's been really cool to watch. Anybody who's been following you on this show, I mean, you told them what was going to happen. It just happened. It just happened much faster than it was supposed to happen. I don't. Uh, I know that signing the deal with TNT was a big deal, but I don't. I don't think that you could have imagined that you would be in a position to be Vince this fast. I am not him, and I don't think I am. I I try to wear some of the similar hats, especially that he wore when he was younger. I will say this. And I don't know what good it does me or what purpose it serves me, but I'll just say it. Other, as a fan of wrestling and somebody who loves wrestling, I always thought their shows were better when Vince wrote the shows in the backyard with his friends versus when they hired 25 writers to write the shows. But that, that, that's neither here nor there. I really enjoy putting the shows together. And through the pandemic, that was one of the things that... I was able to actually get more organized on. But Tony, because- that's one of well, that's one of the things that the discerning fan is noticing that the fingerprints on everything are somebody who really loves wrestling. Because I think you know this customer. This customer can sniff it out if it's not exactly that because of the way that they care, and it's the way that you care. I'd like to think that, Dan, but at the same time, I have to give so much credit to the fans. Because the people that supported us through the pandemic, they were supporting a different product, a product that changed. And it was the best wrestling product through the pandemic. But there were a lot of fans that stuck to our shows. And really, we, our ratings, crazily enough, went up during the pandemic. But it's a different thing watching wrestling without fans at ringside. So to me, it was important to keep some semblance of that. So I, any wrestlers who were out of work or guys that weren't on the show or women that weren't on the show, I put it ringside as the fans. So built like a wall of fans that were effectively out of work wrestlers and uh, was the best TV anybody was doing in wrestling. Because, you know, if you flip the channel and you're watching people in an empty arena with no fan response, no engagement with a crowd, it's just not as good. But then at the same time, to compare that, to compare, you know, a wall of wrestlers around the ring to what we saw on Friday night, There's no substitute for the wrestling fans. And so the fans at home that stayed with the show through the pandemic when the fans weren't there and the fans who are now turning out at the shows and going nuts and setting records for attendance and for audible noise for big pops. It's just uh, really, really, really all down to them. And And I am one of them. And because I was a wrestling fan and knew that there was a big vacancy and there was just something missing in my life, and the lives of my my brethren, my sisters and brothers of wrestling fans, I just knew this was going to work. And there's enough wrestling fans, enough dormant wrestling households out there that I knew we could uh, find people that weren't really engaged by what they were getting on TV, by what they were watching in the current world of wrestling. So it's all happened a lot quicker than I would have thought. But one of the biggest moments in the history of the company actually happened at your office when I was being interviewed there and I went down 
to your dressing room in the Clevelander and I negotiated my TNT contract extension. <laughs> so thank you for letting me use your dressing room. I'm really happy for you. It's been cool. It's been really cool. Dude, to I watch. really appreciate that. And I, I, I was really glad when I got your text today about talking because you know, I'm always happy to talk to you just in general, like even if it's not being televised or recorded, but you know, it, I no time for that. Enjoyed. Not Tony only on air friendships. There's no, I don't have time for any other kind. I just, uh, I, I just come out of a hermetically sealed case and have on air conversations. And that's all I have. No office. What about, uh, you, what about on my boat? We didn't record. You come hung out on the oh, boat. We, we brought people that. there and they failed at their job of videotaping the several boats on your boat that never so even, that was just a big front. Like you were just like, basically like keeping up a fun conversation with me so that like I was there I was there to get the content with Roy yes look man do not tell me anything about what it is that I shouldn't be doing uh, that is fake when you're entire. Well, I think that's a pejorative word, but uh, uh, the, the, the scripted, what do you mean? scripted that what he does is scripted, not fake. Fake is uh, that's a terrible word by me. I'm sorry. Scripted is what I meant. Don't lecture me on getting content out of the scripted. That's what I was trying to do. I didn't get it, though. I just well, all I, I had we, was I mean, get like 20 minutes of mystery. Like, you know, out of it. My feelings, man. But. <laughs> we did get 20 minutes of mystery crate out of it. That means nothing to him. But yes, it's an amazing boat. I, I the part that I the part that I regret is that the audience didn't get to see both your hospitality and the reason that we were there ostensibly is come see the boat. It was a giant it was the villainous boat on a on a Netflix movie that I don't remember. What was the thing you said to me? It was first day ignore you. How does it go? First, they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then they die. I don't know about the last one, but the rest of them are pretty much right on. Right on. I don't. They haven't started fighting you yet. I keep expecting WWE to start lobbing all sorts of the next. I thought that they were first at ignore you, then laugh at you. Have they gotten to fighting you? They've gotten to fighting. What would you call NXT? Okay. Okay. We were. They had a show on head to head against me for over a year. Before they had to move it because the ratings <laughs> uh, yes. were very strong. For yes. Finally, <laughs> finally, we get something out of you that is wrestling persona. I, it took me to the very end and he thinks we're not taping, but we're well, leaving all this in. Being, that's just the truth. That's like a statistic. Like that's a black and white statistic. Whereas like, I don't want to, you know, say anything bad about anybody. That's just like a fact. I mean, that was, that was a fight, but uh, that was the hardest fight I've been through. And when you talk about, earlier and i mentioned the end of 2019 and trying to get more organized there was one week at the end of 2019 where they actually won the demographic and i think it ended up being like in 75 weeks head to head or 76 weeks head to head i think we won 75 to one and the one week they got it i was up against the wall and that's when i was talking about like getting reorganized changing things around making sure that 2020 was going to be a lot stronger than the end of 2019 and it was and so we were in a fight and there was you know it would be like a game where you had to lead most of the game but there was one point maybe in the first quarter where you fell behind and you called time out like okay like nope no more that is not going to happen again ever and so it was a fight and i think we are still in a fight in many ways but i also don't think it needs to be like a hostile thing where you can't support both companies because i never want it to be something where a fan feels like they should only support one or the other and there there clearly are a lot of people who feel that way because i think there are a lot of wwe fans that maybe don't like AEW because they see us as like the opposing team like if the jaguars were playing 
another team and, you know, you have to pick one or the other. Well, I don't think it has to be like that now, especially now that the shows are not on head to head anymore. You don't have to make that choice. You can watch it all. Watch what you want. And so I don't want people to feel like they have to choose one or the other because there was a lot of wrestling on this weekend and there was great stuff on AEW Rampage and we made big headlines with CM Punk coming back. But, you know, if people want to watch the other stuff too, I think that's great. And so I just don't want to create a hostile environment where people think that they should only like one or the other because I don't think it has to be that way. Watch what you want. I'm not trying to create like a, you know, a pissing match fight. It's really more just, that's a fact. That's just a statistic. You're handling it with great grace and great success. Thank you for being on with us, sir. Dude, it's so good to see you. Thanks for texting me. I'm, I was always, always happy to catch up. My team is one win away. And I'll tell you exactly what I'm going to do to celebrate once they get past this series. I'm going to go to my fridge and I'm going to get myself an ice cold can of Miller Lite. A lot's changed over the years, but one thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. Another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. So what is the best thing about the original light beer? Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975 and it still hasn't been settled. You see, Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality, great taste, and only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything that you don't need and holds on to what matters most. A light beer that tastes like beer, less filling, and only 96 calories. The original light beer since 1975. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right at your door, visit MillerLite.com beach, B-E-A-C-H. Or you can get it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer calories and carbs than premium regular beer.